It was a man that uh, was walking down the street, and he looked across the street, and he saw another man uh, walking, and every five feet he would bend down and dig a hole and pull all the dirt out and leave it there, and then keep going and do the same thing five feet later. But there was another man coming behind him who would come and fill in all the dirt of the hole he dug, and then he'd move five feet and fill in the dirt of the next hole. He watched these guys just kind of do it, and it was like lockstep rhythm. So finally, he went over to them and said, what? Like, what are you guys doing? One of you is digging the hole, the other one's filling in. He's like, well, there's normally three of us, and the guy in the middle plants the tree, but he's sick today, so we're still working. <laughs> it made me think of the fact that um, very often in life, we forget why we're doing what we're doing. We just are doing it. And Many times that relates to our life's work or maybe many things that we do in life. If, if we've done it for a long time or someone has told us when we were young, we should do this, and so we do it. And uh, they say that every 30 days, uh, vision leaks. In other words, every 30 days, you scratch your head at some point and say, why am I doing this again? Whether in big and small ways. And I know uh, in some of my former jobs, when uh, times would get really difficult, we were really stressed or whatever, and, and or maybe we had gone through a, a period, I, I, t- I say we because I tended to work mostly in teams, um, and something would happen where we failed to do what we had accomplished to do, or, you know, I personally just kind of made a, made a mistake, or uh, something just went awry, and we, we had tried our best, and, and it didn't work. And one of our bosses, one of my bosses would invariably say, you know, in an attempt to encourage us, oh, don't worry, it's only chicken, which is what one of the fields I used to work in, or don't worry, it's only jello. You know, and the, the, the sentiment was, hey, don't stress yourself out so much, it's only this. Although I found at times it had the opposite effect because then I would say, yeah, what? why am I killing myself for this? Someone's like, it's only this. And maybe we've said that to ourselves, right? Or we've said that to each other, maybe in our work colleagues, and say, oh, don't stress out so much about whatever it is, it's only this. But it has the opposite effect because we think, well, what I'm doing actually matters. There's an old story of Socrates who was teaching one of his uh, pupils, and, and, and he said to him, well, how, how do we know what we should be doing in life? Instead of giving him an answer, he, pu- he pushed his head underwater for a few moments and then lifted it up. And he said, you know how you feel when you're underneath there and you just have to breathe? He said, you'll know what you've found and what you should be doing when it feels like you just have to do this. It's literally what keeps you alive and makes you alive. Your purpose has, is going to be as natural to you as needing to breathe. Purpose is, a, is such a significant thing that we have to answer in life. Last week when we began this sort of series of work, we, we said, okay, what, is, what actually is work? How can we define our life's work? And I tried to make a broad as definition as possible, but let me reiterate that again. Whether you get paid for it or not, whether you work in your home, maybe you stay at home with kids, maybe you're not in work right now, you're not employed, you're not getting paid to do any work, but you still have activity, you still do things, or the job, whether you're an entrepreneur, you work in an office, you work in a shop, you work in a classroom, whatever it is that you do for most of your life. And I said, if, you're, you know, if we count our school years, which of course my children and others of you that are in school would beg us to do, that, of course that's work, that's 108,000 hours of your life that you're going to spend doing this thing, more than you do anything else other than maybe sleeping, even for some of you, you it's, it's work more than any of that. So knowing what is work, and we said from Scripture, actually, we understand from God's work in creating the world that all work is to create and cultivate, that we have been put on the work to make new and make grow, to find things 
and breathe life in them and to invent and to create wherever space we're in, whether we consider ourselves entrepreneurs or not, that there are things in our workplaces and spaces that don't exist that need to, and we are put there to bring it into being, whether it's a new product or a new service or just a new culture or a new attitude. In, and we said we all have a sphere of influence, whatever that is, to create or to cultivate, to make grow, that there are things, that there are people that God has put around you that you are meant to get behind and use your talents to make them grow. That's what work is. Today, we want to talk about why work is. Why are we doing what we're doing? Purpose becomes key. Now, if I were to ask, maybe, maybe not you, but the general answer is, okay, well, why do I work? If, if somebody were to just stop you on the street, it's like, hey, on your way to your job or on your way out or whatever it is, why are you doing that? Here's some of the answers I think maybe people would say. <clears throat> well, I get paid for it. I, I, I need to do this for a living. I've got expenses. I can't not work. I have to work because I have to get paid for it. That would be one of the purposes. Another one would say, well, this is kind of, I'm good at it. It's kind of what I was made to do. I feel, you know, I like doing it. You know, like I'm, I'm good at this job. That's why I do it. Others, and by the, judging by the survey, I said for, for those of you that enjoy your work, which a large number of people uh, who filled out the survey said you did, you listed as the people you work with as the number one reason why you like your job. So maybe we might say, well, I, you know, because I work in a team or people count on me. I like the people. That's why I work, you know, because I enjoy the place that I go and I enjoy the team that I'm with. Others might say, well, it's kind of who I am. It's kind of what I've always done. I really can't envision my life apart from X, apart from whatever it is that I do. And so some of you may think, well, yeah, you're not dreaming about retirement. This is kind of what you love to do. You think you'll be doing it forever. Maybe you think, you know what, even if they didn't pay me to do it, I would still do it. Nothing wrong with any of those purposes in terms of what I'm doing for work, but every one of them, if they become the sole purpose of our life, could lead us a little bit astray. If we work for the money, then when we lose work, perhaps we're out of work, or work hours get reduced, or pay gets reduced, then our sense of purpose actually gets, gets reduced or diminished with it. And maybe some of you have gone through that experience where you've lost a job, or you've been laid off for a period of time, or your job's radically changed that you think, like, I don't even know who, like, I, I, don't, I, I can't be motivated to find work anymore. Maybe if you didn't get the bonus you were supposed to get, or pay got cut, if the purpose for working is the pay, then what's going to happen to productivity? And we've seen this in players, in, in, in work, in, in jobs. We've even seen it in, in uh, sports athletes who are delaying working because they want to get the money, and they feel like, hey, I can't, it's hard for me to perform when I'm not being recognized for my talents. For the, so so I, I was offered only $50 million instead of $90 million. And we laugh at them, but basically they're saying is, I work, like if I can't get paid properly, it's hard for me to be motivated to do my work. So if, if pay is why you do it, then if pay fluctuates, or if you lose a job, you think, well, now I can't work because no one's paying me to work. I'm paralyzed now in life. <clears throat> if you work because you're good at it, that's a sweet spot for you. Nothing wrong with that. That's a great thing. But if that's your purpose, if you think, well, the reason I work is because this is, this is what I do, is I'm good at it, then what happens when you fail? Maybe you might actually not take a new opportunity or a new risk because you don't want to be pushed into a place where you're not succeeding because your purpose is to feel successful in that. And if you're going to take a risk and do something else and you might fail at it, you'd be less inclined to do that if you think, well, no, my, my reason for being is actually to, you know, to be successful in this. I won't pursue things that might put me at risk. 
or if you're striking out or finding difficulty in it, motivation becomes very difficult when you feel like, I mean, that's true, I guess, for all of us. We feel like I, if you've gone through a period of time, you felt like I've been really successful and now I'm not. Motivation can be very difficult. What's my reason for being here if I keep failing? What's the point? I'm no good at this. If it's the people you work with, if, you're, if your sort of identity and work and your purpose in it is tied up in the teams that you work with, well, you know, maybe in this stage more than ever, where people say now you're going to have an average of eight to 10 careers, that you can't count on the people you work with tomorrow or today being there tomorrow. Works change. People move. People move away. People get terminated. People find other jobs. And so teams change. And many of us can find that particularly difficult because if we're enduring a job simply because of the people, like that's our reason for being, because it's not anything else, then when teams change, that becomes very difficult. Or perhaps, maybe you've experienced this, there are sometimes things you need to do in your workplace that are going to be unpopular with the people that you work with. There's decisions that you need to make, especially if you're in a managerial role, and you build good relationships, but you have to make a decision that you know is going to make you unpopular. Or perhaps you work in environments where nobody's the boss and everyone's a peer and we all just keep each other in line by saying, you're not going to do extra, right? You're not going to do extra, right? So we're all just going to, and so you're not going to do extra because the people who like you are not going to like you anymore because you're making them look bad. If the people you work with are your reason for being, that's, a, that's an unstable place to put your footing. And it may keep you from doing things you actually really need to do because of that group. And maybe for others to say, well, I don't know what else I would do. This is my whole identity. For those of us, maybe it's somebody said, well, who are you? The first thing that we would think to say is what we do. And maybe that's true for almost all of us. Then when jobs are lost or we encounter difficulty, then we have lost our very selves. We think, I don't even know who I am apart from what I do. And maybe each of us experience little bits, all of those things at various times in our lives and our careers where we tend to drift towards one or another of these things saying, this is my purpose in life. This is why I work. It's interesting, I think, that if you consider religion, religion tends not to think too much about purpose. If you, regardless of whatever religious background you grew up in, religion tends to be more, don't worry about why, just worry about what. Don't worry about why you do this. If we answer purpose in a big picture, well, God wants you to do that, so just do it. I know my father, as he grew up in a, as a Hindu Brahmin in North India, at the age of 17, he was a left brain engineer, started asking a lot of whys about his Hindu background. And he was troubled by some of the answers that he got that he felt were not really answering the question of why. And regardless of what faith you grew up in, maybe many of us have had that experience as well, when we asked those questions, and maybe when we were younger, somebody just told us, well, don't ask why, just do it. This is kind of how it works, which is why for, maybe for many people, connecting God and our work could seem like difficult or that these two things were sort of mutually exclusive or had nothing to do with one another. But the good news for us is when we read the scriptures, actually, the scriptures are full of this whole matter of purpose, which is key for all of us understanding not what we do, but why we do it. Because if we find the enduring motivation for why, beyond just, I'm good at it, I like the people, I get paid for it, it's kind of a, become a part of who I am. If we find an enduring 
motivation for why we work, then regardless of whether we're getting paid, regardless of how well we think we're doing in it, regardless of whether the teams and the people and the bosses and the the other groups of people that we work with are responding positively or negatively to us, we will have found a stable footing and a long-term fuel for this thing that we will do for more hours than anything else we will do in life. And the whole scripture, the story of scripture begins with this issue of purpose, and the purpose comes from God and his relationship with people. This is what, if somebody asks you, what's the Bible about? The Bible's about God and how he relates to us. And so it actually tells us a lot about God, and it tells us a lot about us. And what we find is all the way through scripture, God was doing this thing. He was calling people to him and sending them out. You know, he made Adam and Eve, and then he sent them out into the creation. He called Abraham to himself, and then he sent him to a place. Moses, all the children of Israel. And then when when Jesus came to earth and gathered the church, you know, the word church, actually the scriptural Greek word is ecclesia. It got replaced over time by the German word kirch, which means building. But the scriptures actually refer to the ecclesia as the called out ones the gathering of people. And so that our identity as people who are trying to follow God is that ultimately we are people who have been called by God to do something. Every one of us called. And that's why we actually use the words calling to refer to certain types of jobs. I remember when I was transitioning out of what I was doing before and I told people over there, it's like, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going to become a minister. And I was like, oh, you must have a calling on your life. These are people, even many of whom have no sort of faith background at all, refer to this kind of work as a calling. Or maybe someone who's in healthcare or humanitarian work or a missionary or whatever. You'd say, oh, that's a calling. But actually, the scriptures tell us that every one of us is called by God. That our identity is not our independent pursuit of what we think will make us happy or what we think we're good at, but actually that we are people who have been called out by God and given a task to do. And it is from the calling of God that we actually determine our purpose. And so we're going to get into that this morning. And what is it, in fact, that God has called us to do? We read about this in, you know, the, uh, the Apostle Peter. In one of the letters he wrote in 1 Peter 2.9, he says this, and he's talking to the church. But you are a chosen people. Listen to some of the language here. You are a chosen people called people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, let me just check for a second. Some of you may be like, well, I'm not sure about all this stuff. I'm not sure if I'm part of the ecclesia. I don't know if I'm part of the church. I'm just here checking it out, or maybe you're new or whatever. Stay with me. You probably have the same problem that all of us have, regardless of our faith background, of needing to find a purpose in work. And at first you may think, this is an odd solution, but stay with me. Peter's talking here to the church, and he says, don't get hung up on the priesthood and holy nation stuff. We can get into that some other time. There's lots of other sermons I've preached on that, so you can go look at that. Look at the language in here. You were called chosen people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. This is our purpose in life as Christ followers, to be people whose lives tell the story of the love of God. And in a sense, our lives would preach a sermon of his wonderful love that has called us out of darkness into light. That is the calling, the purpose that every one of us has in life. 
And you may say, oh, that's, oh, I get it. Oh, so are we all supposed to, so now we're back to this whole calling thing. Oh, that's for ministers and priests and humanitarian people because that's what they do. They, they kind of preach sermons about the love of God. But actually what's interesting is the Apostle Paul, another one of the, uh, the founders of the early church, was teaching a church, that, a young church, and many of them had just become followers of Christ. And now they were saying to Paul, what do we do with our jobs now that we have become followers of Christ? Should we quit our jobs and do what you're doing? And he said, no, 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 no. Stay where you are. Stay where you were when God called you. He's not only called you to follow him, he's called you to follow him while you work. And so this is not just about certain types of jobs. Every one of us has this calling on our lives that no matter what we do for a day, for most hours of the day, whatever our life's work is, whether we work with big people, little people, people we like, people are, who are annoying, very few people or large groups of people, big company, small company, whether you're the head of the charts, you, you, you top it all, you're the boss, or you're not anyone's boss. Every one of us has this calling to, with our lives, be a demonstration of the love and the grace of God, regardless of the actual work we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, what does that actually look like? They say, well, that's okay. How do we actually do that? That sounds really grand. Well, the scriptures, and in fact, God himself didn't leave us in the dark. The beginning of scripture begins with God creating and cultivating as a gardener. And then the middle part, when God actually comes to earth as a carpenter, Jesus, he showed us what does this actually look like for every person regardless of their stature or their work, to live their lives as a display of the love of God. And we read about this in Matthew 20. Let's find that. Jesus is talking with his disciples and he's teaching them about how things are supposed to work. And they had a little fight over who was more important. And he says this to them. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, you know how most people handle power and authority in their work. They're power-hungry people. Not so with you. He was giving them a new way to work. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus defined his whole mission in life. Yes, coming in as Messiah, this leader they thought who was going to deal with their political problems and deal with their military problems and deal with their economic problems because he was going to be the top dog and he was going to put Israel back on the map and he was going to take authority and he was going to do that kind of work. And he said, that's not how and why I came. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life up for everyone. Jesus Christ articulated for us our ultimate purpose in life. It is to serve. We put God's love and grace on display when we serve others. And Christ said, that's, how I, that's why I came, not to be served, but to serve, and also should it be with you. In another part in the Gospel of John, he said that and he showed them, and he, remember that, that famous story, some of you may know, where he washed the dirty kind of sandaled, dry Palestinian feet. You know, in that culture where they didn't have shoes, they walk around in the dust, everything's sweaty and dirty, and Jesus 
Normally, you'd go in if you're having dinner. If it was a nice house, they would have hired a servant to wash the feet. Jesus is hosting the dinner. He puts a towel over his arm, and he washes their feet. And they're, they're almost, Peter is so offended, he doesn't even want Jesus to touch his feet. Because he thinks, how could you do this? And Jesus says, this is how I want you to live. You need to understand, that's why I came to serve. That's why you have been placed. That is what your work is supposed to do. I want you to think about this for a moment as you imagine your workplace, wherever that is. Just close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes and picture the place where you work. I want you to see, you know, kind of familiar. Can you, can you see it in your mind? Just kind of the places where you work, with the door you walk through to get there. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe you work out of your home. Maybe you work in an office, classroom, storefront, wherever it is. And you can picture, now, now don't just picture the surroundings. Picture the people that you tend to see regularly. Maybe colleagues, suppliers, clients, customers. This is the place where God has sent you into to serve. It is those people, those customers, those clients, that team, that boss, that you have been called to serve. You can open your eyes. Our purpose, the reason God has put you into that place, the way that you will ultimately display his love and grace is by serving those people that God has sent you to. That all work for Christians is defined by, yes, we create and cultivate, but it's for the purpose, not a personal advancement, not a personal remuneration, not a personal fulfillment, but for the good of others. And Jesus says, I didn't come for myself. I came for others. And that's how it should be with you. This is the way we are meant to serve and engage. Now you might say, well, that sounds, that's good. I mean, that's sort of an altruistic kind of nice way to think about it, that we are meant to serve. What does that actually mean? What's the key to that? Well, the Apostle Paul explains it for us in Philippians 2. He's talking to the church about how they should be interacting with each other, and he gives the example of Jesus. Philippians 2, 3 to 8. This is what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. In other words, your own pursuits. Don't operate out of your own pursuits or vain conceit. In other words, thinking of yourself more highly than you should. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Let's just read that again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing, nothing in your life out of personal pursuit or thinking highly of yourself, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. <clears throat> Each of you should look, look, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being, he says, what's the attitude of Jesus? He was in very nature God. In other words, there was no one greater. He didn't consider that status something to be held onto, grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Paul is making this clear what Jesus said to his disciples. Your orientation in life... <clears throat> should not be 
about what you are set out to gain or accomplish for yourself. Nothing. Do nothing out of that. Let's include. Let's be specific. Don't work out of selfish ambition or a high view of yourself, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And what did we say humility was quickly last week? Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. This isn't about having a poor view of ourselves and say, oh, no, no, I'm going to downplay my talents. I'm going to downplay my success. I'm going to pretend I don't have this title or this authority. It's none of that. It's about thinking of ourselves less. This isn't about you. The thing that gets in the way of you and I truly being able to serve the people that we work with and see our teams, our colleagues, our customers, our clients, our boss, and seeing them as people that we are sent in to serve is this. It's about me. That's what gets in the way all the time the root of every conflict we have. It's the root of every frustration we have in our workplace. If we're angry at someone at work, why? Because we're not getting what we think we deserve. Or they're not treating us the way that our position affords. Or they are just making life very difficult for us. They're the thorn in our side, the thing that always keeps sabotaging the work we're trying to do. Why? Because it's about me. If it's about me, then if I'm not paid properly, I'm going to be frustrated. If it's about me, and if I get passed over for recognition, I'm going to be mad. If it's about me, if I don't feel the team that I have is working hard enough or good enough quality, I'm going to be mad. If it's about me, then if I don't find my work fulfilling, I'm not going to feel motivated to go there. But Jesus says, I didn't come here for me. I came here for you. And that's how it should be with you as well. You don't have to think poorly of yourself. Whatever has been entrusted to you, whatever power, whatever title, whatever resources, whatever money has been given to you, don't say, oh, it's not for me, or I shouldn't use it. Yes, but it's not for you. Humility is about thinking less of ourselves, or thinking of ourselves less. It is that we even use the phrase, oh, they forgot themselves, right? When we say, oh, someone forgot themselves for a moment. What, what do we mean? We mean maybe they, they, they normally are, are inhibited by, by their, and they just forgot and they got up on the table and danced or whatever, you know, at a party or something like that. They just lost their inhibitions for a moment. They lost themselves. Or to get lost in a moment is suddenly you forget yourself, your own troubles, your own deal, and you're taken up with something that's happening. This is what it means to actually be humble in our workplaces, is to realize whatever I had you envision is that place, that threshold that you cross over when you go into work, whoever it is that you've been entrusted with, to care for, to love, to serve, is that this interaction, this job, it's not about me. It's about God sending me into this place and saying, who can you serve? Because you weren't put in that place for you, you were put in that place for someone else. Some of you might say, well, I have a job that's actually directly involving serving others. I can say that, that, that that's my job, is really to serve you, this church and this community and whoever God entrusts to me. And maybe others of you, maybe you're in healthcare, or maybe you're in teaching, or maybe, maybe whatever kind of job you say, maybe you're in the service industry. And you say, well, yeah, no, that's, that's my direct job. But you know, it's possible to do those jobs for us as well, right? It's possible for you to be very selfish as a pastor, that I do this ultimately for me. 
that I might help people because it makes me feel good, because I get this sense of fulfillment, or I like how people will respond to me if I help them. Well, how do we know? Maybe some of us have been in that, in that service. How do you know whether you're doing it for you or for them? Well, what makes you angry in your work? You can hold up serving someone for a long time if you feel like you're helping them, but what if it's not helping? What if you're serving and everything is being taken from you, but nothing's changing? What if you keep putting yourself out for customers or for the people you're entrusted to lead or your children and you aren't getting their results or they're spurning your efforts and we get angry and indignant and anger and indignance and frustration are clues that, hey, maybe this, I, I'm, this is about me. I'm mad. All these years I've slaved for you. How could they not see how much I've done for them? And we're all human, right? We all go on those little rants from time to time. But it reveals something. It doesn't matter what kind of work you're in. Just because you directly serve people, and maybe some of you, others of you are doing something, maybe you're making widgets on a line, or you're doing pricing for a certain specific kind of product. In the Industrial Revolution now, many of our jobs became really specific, and very few of us get to see the whole picture of what we're doing. So maybe you say, well, I'm not in service industry at all. It doesn't matter. It's possible to do any of those jobs for ourselves or any of those jobs for other people. The issue is our hearts. You might say, well, Vijay, my job, like, it's a brutal work environment. It's not very positive. It's not very affirming. Or my job, like, I'm so underappreciated or the amount, maybe I'm in the overworked category that Steve was praying for us this morning. I'm so over, I don't even know how to begin with this. And my workplace is so dysfunctional or I, I don't even have the tools properly to do my job. Every day it's a grind. Or every day I don't even know if the ax is going to fall because they've been laying off all over the place. You don't understand my work. The beautiful thing about the call to humility is it has nothing actually to do with what's going on around there and everything to do with what's going on in here. Ben Patterson in his book, Serving God, which is one of the other books I'm using for this, says this, the practical upshot is that our vocation or our calling in Christ would have us first ask, what is wrong with us and our attitude before we say, what is wrong with our job? Look, there may come a day when you have to get out of the job you're in. Okay, I'm not saying you should just like and accept everything that's happening. Maybe your workplace is dysfunctional. Maybe, you know, Paul said to some of the people who were slaves who had become Christians, now what do we do? And he said, well, if you can get your freedom, get it. If you're a slave and you get your freedom, in those days, some of, much of it was indentured servanthood, you could buy your way out. And he said, if you could do that, sure. But that's not the essence of what it means to be called by God. And first, before... You say, should I get a new job? Should I try to this promotion? Should I change it? Should I get new skills? Say, what is going on in my heart? If I'm upset at my workplace or I'm feeling frustrated, I'm not able to serve, I may have to deal with the external things. I may have to, you know, get some courage and go and talk to my boss about it. I may have to get some courage and do this. I may have to take a risk and change. I may have to go back to school. I may have to think differently about this. But first and foremost, what is going on in here? Because regardless of my work, regardless of my environment, regardless of what's happening, whether it top fortunes, you know, top 100 places to work, or it would never appear. You laugh when those surveys come out because you think, my company will never be on there. Regardless, humility is thinking of ourselves less, which has to do with the heart. And if I'm having a hard time serving the people I'm with, it is first and foremost not about them or that place, but me and my heart. 
Now you might say, yes, absolutely. I get more scripture. Thanks, Wayne. Um, you might say, well, that's okay. Now you just made me feel bad about my job. How do I actually do this? Listen, the only way that you can think of yourself less is if you understand the gospel. The only way we can truly be for others is if we know someone is for us. When Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Who was he talking to? You and me. He has come for us. He came into this world to give himself up for us. The love and security and stability and self-worth and fulfillment that we long to get from our jobs, the longings are not bad, they, but the dis, dis, dissatisfaction and frustration with work are a clue that we cannot find fulfillment to those longings in a job. Not a job alone. But that as Christ has come into our lives and showed us the love and appreciation and approval that we could never earn. Someone who isn't just accepting us for our resume or our output or what have you done for me lately, but ultimately loves us for who we are, that we have an identity apart from any job that we have, that when he looks into our heart and sees his, who are you? We don't need to say, well, I'm a this or I do this but that he looks into our heart and sees, he knows everything about us. And he says, you're way more than what you do. Don't sell me short on what I make. God don't make no junk, one that used to say, right? You're not just a what you do for a living. The love of Christ actually tells us we are whole people, whole beings. So regardless of whether we're frustrated with our work or we love it, or we're not getting recognized or we're out of work, or we don't think that what we're doing is actually work, that we have approval and standing with the king of the universe. Paul says he was equal with God, and he came down and humbled himself for us. And so if that's what we have, if that's we are loved and cared for and appreciated, and we have an identity rooted in him, that we find that we can, we're actually free to serve. Why? Because I don't need anything from my job. I don't need success in my job to tell me I'm good. I don't need a proper pay to say you're recognized for your work or what you're... The pay that, we, that our society has constructed is in no way indicative of what worth it work is valuable or not. The pay structure in our society are entirely based on consumption. And whatever can make more gets paid more. That's not an inherent description of value or work. And so in God we realize no matter what I'm getting paid, whether I think I'm getting properly remunerated or not, it does not actually determine my self-worth and who I am. Only when the gospel comes into our lives and we fully internalize it and realize that this is God's love for me and that I don't need this from my job, am I free to lay it all out at work? I can serve you. I can serve even the people who are withholding recognition from me because I don't need it from them anymore. And now I'm free to say, yeah, I don't actually need to think of myself because I'm good. I can serve you. Only when we realize the gospel are we actually free to serve and love like that. It was Martin Luther, the reformer, who said it this way. Why should I not, therefore, in light of Christ's love, freely, joyfully, with all my heart and with an eager will, listen to this, give myself as a Christ to my neighbor. He's talking about people in his workplace. 
Just as Christ offered himself to me, since through faith I have an abundance of all good things in Christ. He said, I am a Christ to the people in my workplace. Just as Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life. So now I have been sent into my workplace to give my life for the people I work with. Now, many of us are not going to be asked to literally lay down our lives. If you're in the military or in frontline police service or ambulance or whatever, you might be asked in a sense or find yourself in a situation where you have to literally give your life. But for all the rest of us, for the amount of hours you work in the week, here's a heads up. You are giving your life to it. And so Luther says, in light of all of the stuff, the abundance that I have received from Christ, I am now free to give myself as a Christ to my neighbor. I am free to lay down my life, to use up all my hours, to leverage all of my power and my resources and my time to serve the people that God has put in front of me in my workplace. Because I don't need any of it, because I have received it all from him. This is what it means to actually love and work. And so here's my thought to leave with you. Two things. If it's not about me, and it's not about me, who at my workplace is alone, struggling, or failing? If you lead children, if you're a teacher, we lead children at home, and make no mistake, if you're at home with your kids, you are leading them. And any of us that have children, sometimes we get angry at them because they're not doing what we want them to do because they're blocking our goals. We are there to serve them. doesn't mean we do everything for them. That's not always serving them. But who's, who's feeling alone or struggling or failing? Which one of your children maybe or the people entrusted to you or in your workplace? Even if you don't have direct responsibility, maybe there's somebody you know in your workplace who looks, at least from the surface to you, alone. Or they're struggling or you know they're failing, and maybe in the company, the rest of the company, the organization has kind of, you know, labeled them as a pariah because they're failing. Who is struggling? What can I do this week to lift them up? Right? This was the humility of Jesus that he stooped down low to get underneath us, in a sense, to lift us up. Came all the way down into creation, all the way, Paul says, all the way to uh, humbling himself, death on a cross, to lift us up. So who is alone or struggling or failing in my workplace, in my sphere, that I can get low, serve them, and lift them up? Maybe it's a better question. Who am I angry, frustrated, or bitter towards at work? Chances are if I have any kind of anger, frustration, or bitterness towards them, it's because I have believed somewhere along the line that it's about me and this person is partly responsible for what's not coming to me or what's happening. To that person. What can I do this week to lift them up? Sometimes, friends, it's the sheer act of the will to go towards that person that is driving you up the wall and say, how can I serve them in Christ? And say, look, this is not this beautiful feeling that every day we just feel so filled up with the love of Jesus. We're just happy to serve anyone. I mean, there's a few of you like that, okay? I'm not one of them. Out of faith, I say, I'm going to move towards that person. I, out of, in faith, I say, Jesus, you'll cover me. You'll fill me up. You'll give me grace. Whatever I'm not getting from that person, I don't actually need from them. You're the one that provides it ultimately from me so I can move towards them and get down and try to lift them up. And sometimes when we go directly to that person that we're angry with or bitter towards, something miraculous happens in our heart. The callousness breaks. 
and we lose ourselves and we feel his love. Oftentimes, in the act of obedience, then we begin to feel his love and grace pouring into our lives. And suddenly we go home at night and realize, you know what? I don't actually think what I think uh, need what I think I need. And that ultimately this is not about me. And because Jesus is all about me, I don't need to be all about me. Because he has come to serve me. I don't need to serve me. I can serve these people. What would happen in our workplaces if we started to do this? If we as Christians revolutionized our workplaces as we were the people that served others? We all know, we've all, if you've ever had the privilege of working for somebody like this, you know they were the best boss you ever had. Didn't bother them whenever you needed help. They always seemed to, their stuff they didn't seem to worry about, they were always looking after you. If you've ever had the privilege of working with someone, you know you would do anything for them. I believe our productivity would go through the roof if we began to truly serve each other. And so many of us are, work reluctantly in teams. We're dependent on people, and yet we haven't figured out how to unlock this way of serving one another. I think productivity would go up. Contentment in the workplace would go up. Fear, anxiety would be less and less. We're not worried about losing our job anymore because God's the one that provides, so I'm just here to serve for as long as I'm here. And on the day my employer says, those days are done, that was in God's hands. I couldn't have stopped it. I did everything I could to serve the people around. As the worship team comes and leads us in response, I just want to pray for this kind of a revolution in our workplaces. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would so fill us with your love and grace that we would realize, not just in our head, but in our heart, that everything we're truly striving for, you have already given to us, that you are the one that controls all of the resources in the world that if we're underpaid or undervalued, that ultimate recognition and compensation comes from you. I pray that you would release us from anger or bitterness or frustration towards the people in our workplace and create a revolution with our lives, that we would be the people that become known in our company as the go-to people, not because we're the smartest or the most capable or we have the most important title, but because we are the ones that are willing to lay down our lives for others. And God, when people ask us why we're doing that, will we be able to very simply tell them about the Savior who has served us first and has freed us to know that it's not about me? And so I bless us, God, with that statement that would ring in our ears joyfully, it's not about me, it's not about me, it's not about me because you have been all about us, because you have poured out your love into us, because you have given up your life for us, we are now free to do it for others. And so bless this church with that kind of a revolution in our workplaces. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to bless you with a, you know, words ringing in our ears. Sometimes we hear our own words ringing in our ears. I just want to bless you with the words, it's not about me, ringing in your ears. Not in a scolding way, but in a, in a freeing way. In words that every time you hear them, free you to do the right thing, free you to serve, free you to lay your life down, that over and over you hear, it's not about me, I'm covered. Got the love and the grace of God. It's not about me, I'm free to serve. I want to bless you with that. Would you receive that? Amen. Thanks so much for coming. Just